All right, well, open your Bibles now, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Um, we have made our way through that introductory part, uh, verses 1 through 18, uh, where John really laid out for us what to expect in, in all 21 chapters, uh, where he's headed, who Jesus is, that he is, in fact, uh, the Son of God, that he is himself God, uh, as he laid out for us. Uh, the reason he was sent, and, and so many other truths. And, and as we come to verse 19, he's now beginning, you could say, the story of Jesus, the good news of, of why Jesus came. Uh, so follow along with me if you would then. I'm going to read John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28, as he starts off, or takes us back again, you could say, to John the Baptist and his testimony or his witness. It says, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you, so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and and said to him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And so John the Apostle takes us right into the ministry, kind of right in the middle of the ministry of John the Baptist to to different people here. And John had really stirred things up. He, he had really caused, caused a stir in, in Israel. As he'd come on the scene, um, one of the Gospels tells us the, the word of the Lord came to John, reflecting back to the, to the way that so many of the Old Testament prophets were talked about. And let's go to Matthew chapter 3 and just hear what was it that John was doing, or yeah, John the Baptist was doing, because the Gospel of John doesn't really give us that. The other, the other Gospels do. And so we get to, to Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Uh, just consider what this must have done to this, this country where so many things were, were going on, but no, nobody's seen anybody quite like this, at least not for a long time. Matthew chapter 3. Now in those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair, and a leather belt around his waist. 
and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea, and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the foot of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly cleanse his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And we can't get into all the details of that, but that gives you a real flavor for what, what John's ministry was like. That gives you an idea that, that he came on strong. He came in on, on and, and stirred things up. He was calling people to repentance, right? He was calling people to change. He was, he was bringing a message that God was going to be bringing some things that they might not like into their lives. And so the leaders, says the Jews, sent an investigation. They sent somebody to check this guy out because he was out in the wilderness but you notice in Matthew it said the people from Jerusalem, Judea, which is the whole surrounding area, and even that area out beyond to the east, past the Jordan. People were coming from all over to hear him say the things that he was saying. And so when it says that the Jews sent people to check him out, it's probably shorthand for the Sanhedrin, which was the religious court in Jerusalem. And these were the people with the highest authority who were Jewish. Um, because they were under the, the rule of Rome at the time. And so uh, the Jewish people themselves were under a governor appointed by the Roman emperor. Um, he had Roman soldiers right under his command who could enforce the things that he said or that the emperor handed down through him. And so these, these were the highest ranking Jews when it says the Jews sent these representatives. And now we've got this man, John. And John was a Levite. Uh, you learn from uh, the other Gospels that his father was actually of the priestly line. He served in the temple. You got, had the privilege of burning incense in the temple at one point. And so here we have this, this man coming out of nowhere, so to speak. And he's bringing, really, a challenge to them. And even when some of them went out, did you hear what he did? He called them snakes. Who are you? Who warned you that the fire was coming to, to slither out of the way? Right? So they wanted to know who was this man? Was, was he legitimate? What if people followed him and he was not legitimate? But probably more in the forefront of their minds was 
If everybody starts following him, what's going to happen to us? And if you jump ahead to John chapter 11, we can understand a little bit of, of their thinking was pretty defensive, really. They, they liked the power they had. They liked the influence they had. They liked that people respected them. And so not too long before Jesus is crucified, here's some of the process that's going through their mind in, in John 11, 47 and 48. It says, Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And so that's them dealing with Jesus. But that same attitude, it appears, was probably in their mind and in their motivations with John the Baptist. Here's this man, he's out of our control, it seems. He's speaking things that are stirring people up. People from all around the area are coming and listening to him. And he's calling people to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So they come, and according to uh, verse 19, he, they ask him, Who are you? Legitimate question, isn't it? Who are you? You're coming, you're doing all these things. They want to know, what, is, what are you claiming to be? You're making this stir, you're, you're talking about all these things. On what basis? By what authority? What is it you're trying to accomplish? Because they have an agenda and a, and a motive. And they want to know what John's agenda and what John's motive is. And probably they're taking their own agendas and motives and, and putting them on John. Thinking, well, if that's, this was me, I'd be making a power grab here. I'd be saying, come look at me. Come listen to me, because I want something. And so the representatives want to know who John thinks he is. And as you see John's response there, there in verse, verse 20. It says, And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Kind of awkwardly worded, isn't it? Especially in English. But, but it's repeated that idea again and again in the negative because he wants to make absolutely clear, I am not Christ or the Messiah. I am not the promised one. I'm not the one that the scriptures have said is going to come and redeem Israel. That means probably the rumors are flying in Jerusalem, right? In fact, in, in, in Luke's gospel, in, in 315, it says that the people were wondering, they were debating in their own minds, is John, John the Baptist, is he the Christ? And John, John adamantly lays those ideas to rest. And John, the author of the gospel, helps emphasize that just by the way he words it. And he simply just goes, when they ask who he is, he just goes directly to a denial that he is the Messiah. Which was, he understood, their most burning question. But notice, John, he's not interested in putting himself up there, right? He's not interested in being the focus. He just said, I am not the Christ. Pretty simple statement, lays it to rest. Well, they're not satisfied, in fact, these people, they're not the top people. They're reporting to the top people, right? 
So they throw out another possibility, since John doesn't claim something. Well, are you Elijah? You're saying, Elijah? Elijah lived hundreds of years before that. Why would they say, are you Elijah? Well, turn back with me to, to, to uh, 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, and we'll look at one reason they might have said that. And keep in mind what we read in Matthew about John's appearance. Speaking of Elijah here, it says, uh, there's someone describing him. They answered him, he was a hairy man with a leather girdle about his loins. And he said, ah, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Remember what John wore? Coat of camel's hair, a leather belt, ate weird things out of the desert. Some, some similarities, because Elijah appeared out of, you know, kind of out of nowhere, lived out in the desert for, for a time during his ministry. They're like, hmm, there's some resemblance here to him. But more importantly, go to the last book of your New Testament, Malachi chapter 4. And here again, we're... We've already seen a prophecy out of the end of Malachi earlier in chapter 1. God had, had given these prophecies about, about what's going to come. And then basically went silent as far as recorded scripture for 400 years. And Malachi 4 verses 5 and 6, very last words of, the, of your Old Testament, right? Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. So here's the last thing recorded in their, in their scriptures that God's told them. Elijah's coming. You say, Elijah? I thought the Bible didn't teach reincarnation. Well, it doesn't. You may remember, Elijah is not recorded as ever dying. Remember, he was, he was out there with Elisha, and you have that the chariot of fire comes along, picks him up, and heads off to heaven. And so you've got this man with no recorded death. And so the Jewish people, especially the Jewish scholars and leaders, Elijah's supposed to come back before the day of the Lord, before the day of judgment. And so we better keep an eye out for him, right? And, and they had a, a very literal idea that, of, of Elijah coming back as well. And think about the things in that four to 500 years that the Jewish people had been through. Uh, the Greeks, the Romans had been dominating them, right? Uh, they'd spent so much time under the thumb of other nations and, of course, before that, you know, other empires, wouldn't it be a good time for a change? Maybe he is Elijah who's going to come and, and, and reconcile children to their, their parents. To bring about some peace before the Lord comes to judge. You know, we, we think about that sometimes too, right? We look at the world around us like, wouldn't it be a good time for Jesus to come back, right? But the Jewish people had that very, many of them, a very literal expectation because Elijah had not died. In fact, it really continues even to today. If you remember, uh, when, when you go through a Seder or a Passover dinner, a seat is left open for Elijah, right? 
Well, John gets into a long discourse about Elijah then, right? Not at all. He says, I am not. Answer is even shorter than his last one. And, and one of the interesting things about, it, about him saying, I am not Elijah, is later on Jesus will, his disciples will ask, well, what, what's this about Elijah coming? Remember, and Jesus says, well, if, if you're willing to believe it, he did come in John the Baptist. Well, he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. There's maybe a sense in which he was the, the beginning of that fulfillment. And yet there is more of that yet to come. But that's maybe a whole other study and sermon in and of itself. But he was definitely denying their expectation that maybe he was literally physically Elijah. He's like, no, I'm not Elijah. So they continue on. Well, the prophet. You know, what, the prophet? What do you mean the prophet? There's been so many different prophets in the, in the history of, of, of Israel and other, even other people who claim to be prophets. Well, this comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 18, if you'd turn back there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 18, so we're back to the very beginning of the nation of Israel. So we went from the end of the, of the Old Testament to some of the, the, the earliest revelation, back before they were even a nation, before they'd even gone into the land. We have this promise, this prophecy made, and we're gonna, I'm going to read verses 15 through 20. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. And this is Moses speaking. So Moses is telling the Jewish people that God is going to raise up a prophet that's going to be like him. From among you, from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. So you can see why if John is the prophet, they want to know who he is, right? Because they've got a direct command from God, you listen to this one that I'm going to send. Verse 16, This is according to all that you ask of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. And the Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of the gods, of other gods, that prophet shall die. So God made this prophecy through Moses all those centuries ago when the nation was just starting. Is this the prophet? Like Moses, he speaks with great authority, right? He speaks very directly to the people, which Moses did. And of course, who was this prophet? Was he the same as the Messiah? Was he somebody who was going to come and, and before the Messiah came? Well, the opinions were split during that time. Now, we have the advantage of looking back, and if you want to take a look at Acts chapter 3 or Acts chapter 7, uh, both Peter and Stephen interpret it for us. The prophet was, in fact, the Messiah. The prophet was, in fact, Jesus. And so John, very clearly, says, 
Very long answer, no. <laughs> Are you the prophet? No. So John is t talking a lot about who he isn't, right? I'm not the Christ or the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. Well, if you're one of the people given this job, you might be starting to get a little frustrated by now, right? Okay, we, we know who you aren't. But who are you? What are your claims? What are you doing drawing these crowds, rebuking our, our spiritual leaders? Let's go back to John chapter 1 and, and see what he has to say positively then about himself. Verses 22, 23. Then he said to them, or then they said to him, I'm sorry, then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who send us. What do you say about yourself? See, they're, again, they're just the messengers. Who are you? Why are you here? And verse 23 says, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. They're obligated. He says, here's what you can tell them. Go back to the scriptures. Go back and see what was said here in Isaiah. So, you're going to flip your pages some more. Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11, but especially focusing on, in on verse 3. So John's going to give them some studying to do, right? So Isaiah is one of those, the prophet who, who's prophesying in advance, telling them, They've been rebellious, and judgment is coming. But mixed in with all of the, that condemnation that, that Isaiah gave, he gave pictures of hope. He gave pictures of the future as well. And so Isaiah 40, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11, just very briefly, says, Comfort, O oh comfort my people. So God's judgment doesn't come without comfort. Comfort, O oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem, and call out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low, and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. A voice says, Call out. Then he answered, What shall I call out? All flesh is as grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up and do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. 
He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Once again, I bit off more than we can really chew in the next few minutes. But John says, I'm not one. The beginning of Isaiah 40, there were in chapter and verse divisions then, but, but he says, I, I'm a voice. Earlier he talked about the word. He's not the word, he's the voice. Okay? Jesus is the word. He is the content. And in the context of Isaiah, we have have that further affirmation that Jesus is God because he says, prepare the way of who? doesn't say the Messiah, even though that's the case. Prepare the way of the Lord. And he goes on and he talks about God and who he is, right? The one John is preparing the way for is Yahweh, the creator God. John's words are just getting things ready. And it talks about the valleys and the hills, right? And so when when a really important king would come to an area, he actually sent an entourage ahead to make sure, or or actually a crew ahead of his entourage, in order order to flatten out the rough spots, in order to make it so that he and, and those who are with him could come easily into that city. And John says, that's me. That's what Elijah was predicting. Somebody would come along and knock down the opposition. Knock down things that were in the way. And that's really what his words were designed to do. Because he said, repent, right? Turn away from your sin. The kingdom of God is at hand. Look at who's coming after me. Get yourselves ready. And get these roadblocks out of the way. That's why I'm here. Don't be an obstacle, but instead, if you noticed at the end of that section, he said, really, be a lamb, right? One who's coming is going to come like a shepherd, and he's going to deal gently with those who are his, those who are his sheep, those who are his lambs. John's giving them that opportunity there. And so those who came as a delegation for the Jewish leaders were completely satisfied now, right? Now, there's things they're still wondering about, right? Okay, well, if that's who you are, if you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, why are you baptizing? That, that was really shaking them up quite a lot, as you can see there back in John, in verses 24 through 28. And baptism was something that was already practiced before John came on the scene. So we ask, got to ask ourselves, what is this baptism? Because we're, we've, we've got a very definite idea as Christians, as believers in Jesus, what baptism is about. But for, for them, and among, among one of the groups that used it was the Pharisees, it was a practice for Gentiles who were becoming proselytes or joining the Jewish religion. And so they would, they would be baptized as, a, as a, a sign that they, as filthy Gentiles, were being washed and cleaned up so that they could join in with the nation of Israel in their worship of the one true God. But John comes on the scene, and his emphasis is on repentance and on judgment and the coming of the kingdom of God, and he's baptizing Jews. Baptizing the people of God. It was... was, A shocking thing. Because you remember what he said in Matthew? Well, you say to yourselves that 
We are the descendants of Abraham. We are the sons of Abraham. And he says, so what? God can make, these, make descendants of Abraham out of these rocks if he wants. What God's interested in is your heart. God's interested in is your rebellion against him. And they're saying, who could say that to the Jewish people, to God's people? How, how could he be so bold? How could he be so brash as to suggest that God's people have to repent in order to be a right relationship with him? But he called on Jews and Gentiles alike to go through this symbol of identification with his message, that they needed to, to, con to repent of their sins, and that they needed to be washed and be cleaned. But they needed to do that to be ready for the kingdom of God. He said, change your hearts. Get ready because somebody's coming. And you better be ready for him. And who is he? Well, verses 26 and 27 says, It is he who comes after me. I'm sorry, I jumped to 27. Verse 26, John answered and said to them, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong whose, whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Your attention, he says, is on me, because I'm, I'm baptizing with water. I'm baptizing Jews with water. I'm calling them to repentance. I'm calling the leaders to quit acting like vipers. Right? I'm calling on you to get your hearts ready. And even they've taken notice of that. You're bothered that I am baptizing with water. You think I might be someone important in God's plan, but you don't even recognize that right among you, right in front of you, is someone who is far greater than you have imagined. And he says, get ready for real greatness. He says, you think that I might be someone great? Jesus, as we talked about last week, will affirm that, that John is the greatest one born of a woman in his whole era, everything that came before that. He says, but let me tell you about me. And compare me to the one who's coming. Now, the traditions of the Jews, as recorded in the Babylonian Talmud, the, the record of their traditions said, every service which a slave performs for his master shall a disciple do for his teacher, except the loosing of his sandal thongs. So you're a disciple of a particular teacher. You should do anything for them to serve them, like a slave, but you don't have to untie their sandals. John says, let me tell you, I'm not even worthy. I'm, I can't even be promoted to the job of untying a sandal. That's how great the one who is coming is. I can't be elevated high enough to be able to be worthy to do that job. Here's the message you can take back to those who sent you. You should be on the lookout. You should be looking close by because one who is among you, you don't even know. God's doing things and and you who are, are supposed to be the great leaders of Israel don't have a clue. 
you're here looking to protect your turf. And then we have verse 28 thrown in there. And John ties this whole incident into the geography, into the time, and he says he did it. According to verse 28, these things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. He says, okay, put down a marker. It happened in a real geographical place. And interestingly, we don't know where this Bethany is. We only know it's not the Bethany that was near Jerusalem, where Lazarus and his sisters lived, because he says it's the Bethany beyond the Jordan. And nobody's quite sure where that is. To me, that's even better proof that he's saying this is real, a real place. I mean, if you're, trying to, if you're trying to fake something, you'd pick a place where everybody knew where it was and where it would, would go on. I mean, remember, this is, you know, 60 years after Jesus has ascended into heaven, about. But it's tied into time, it's tied into place, it's tied, tied into the chronology of God's great plan. But what do we take away from this? Well, I, I see in John a lot of similarities with us as believers in Jesus. Now, we come after the cross, we come after the ascension, but John's whole purpose was not to bring attention to himself. Well, it, it, the things he did yeah, garnered a lot of attention, didn't they? But when they came and they questioned him, John could have easily said, well, yeah, I am the one that you should pay attention to. I am the one you ought to listen to. And he could have made an awful lot of himself. He could have relished the limelight and all the attention that he was getting. But he knew that his purpose was to continually point to the only one who was truly great. He was always emphasizing Jesus. He was always pointing to him, the same way that we need to. He was pointing to Jesus coming and the things he would do to redeem those who would believe in him. But for us, shouldn't we cause a little bit of a stir by the way we live in this world? And when people say, who are you? What's, what's up with you? Shouldn't be, well, you know, I'm just a good guy. I'm something special. Not at all. Let me tell you about the one that I know. And this one that I know, I don't even deserve to untie his shoes, but he is amazing. Let me share this relationship that I have with him, with you, so that you can have what it is that he offers, so that you can have what it is he gives so that you can be part of the kingdom of God. Because interestingly, remember what Jesus, we talked about Jesus said about John the Baptist? He was the greatest you know, of all that were born of women, women, but he said, but those who are part of the kingdom of God are greater than him. Isn't that ironic? In so many ways, it's like, John's like, hey, I'm nothing, even though Jesus claimed he was the greatest before him. And he says, but those who believe are even greater, and yet our answer ought to be just the same as John's, right? The one who saved me? <laughs> I don't even deserve to untie his shoe. But what an amazing relationship he welcomes me into that is, is filled with intimacy, that's filled with, with blessing, and is so glorious, especially in its future outlook. That's what we're called to. 
we have an even greater ministry than John the Baptist did. So let's embrace that. Let's grab hold of that for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what it is you have blessed us to be and to do in this world. And, and I pray that as we go out into, the, into life and interactions and the things we do this, this coming week and in the weeks ahead, that uh, you would keep on reminding us. You'd, you'd open up those opportunities and by your Spirit remind us, on the one hand, of who we are, and that we are united with Christ. We are our, our children of God. We are brothers and sisters, and, and that's a glorious place to be. And yet, not by our own doing, not because we're something special, but because he is everything, and he's welcomed us in as a free gift. Lord, help us to be eager to, to share that, eager uh, to explain to others so that they too can, can experience that amazing truth. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.